Hello and welcome back to Humans of Agape after our little break. We are Agape Europe, a community of people who make Jesus known, so lives are changed and Europe is transformed. We want to bring spiritual hope and help to people from all walks of life. I'm your host, my name is Jochen Geck, I work in the Berlin City Hub in Germany, and I'm curious to hear about what God is doing across Europe and sometimes the world. Love thy neighbor. We all know that's in the Bible, but what can that look like? Our guests today are Elizabeth and Chris McKinney, a staff couple from Missouri in the US, and you could call them experts on the subject. They even wrote a book about it called Placed for a Purpose, a simple and sustainable vision for loving your next door neighbors. Let's learn from them. Hi, Chris. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Hi. So great to have you guys on today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this is really fun. Yeah. So you are the McKinney's. What does the world need to know about the McKinney's? <laughs> <laughs> well, we live in Columbia, Missouri. It's basically right in the middle of the United States. We have four little girls. And fifth, a COVID puppy. And a COVID puppy. The, the girls wore me down. I was saying no for a long time, and they finally <laughs> wore, wore us down. So life is a little chaotic and full, but we work for Crew, Crew City, here in the in the States. And our ministry focus is neighboring. Help loving our own neighbors and also helping other believers and churches have a vision and have the skills to reach out and love their next door neighbors. So you guys really do love your neighbors. <laughs> I hope so. That's yeah. That's that's the idea. You'll, you'll have, you'd have to ask our neighbors. I don't know, yeah, but maybe we try. We, <laughs> no, maybe our we neighbor. Have them on the next episode. That's right. That's right. No, we, our neighbors, we say they are our people. They are some of our best friends, our dearest friends. And the blessing is they, they live right here. We don't have to drive across town to hang out with them. They're right next door. So yeah, we yeah. love our neighbors. We really do. Have you guys always been about being good neighbors? I mean, we all know it's in the Bible, but what made it so precious to you? We kind of stumbled into it in a way. I would say about eight years ago, we or nine years ago, we moved into our neighborhood and we were in one of the most stressful seasons of our life. We, well, Chris was commuting to seminary uh, while also directing the campus ministry here at Mizzou is what it's called, the University of Missouri. And we had four kids in five years. So wow. I was changing a lot of diapers and I... I couldn't get across town to try to hang out with people. I mean, I was kind of stuck in a lot of ways and feeling some of that, those feelings of isolation and loneliness that I think a lot of young moms can feel. And so we weren't looking for more ministry to do. We weren't trying to save the neighborhood. We just knew we needed people and we thought it'd be fun to get to know the neighbors. We had this sense that our lives would be enriched by knowing our neighbors. We met a couple that lived behind us. They had a hot tub and there was a guy, he's like almost eight feet tall named Bingo. And he he had a couple fryers. So he would fry different food in it. And so we thought, okay, well, let's, let's get Bingo out here with his fryer hmm. and pull together just a few neighbors and do, we did a fish fry. Hmm. So people would bring their bring their own food. And it was just, it was what we call a potluck, but it was just a few 
few neighbors right around us, maybe eight people. I'm not sure. A couple kids. And uh, from there, we thought this is really this is a good time. We we like these people. This is this is really enjoyable. Then I think that spring we did a little Easter egg hunt, and we say there were probably about eight kids there, and four of them were ours. So if that tells you anything about kind of humble beginnings, I mean, it was just very simple. And uh, but but it was there that we met a couple, the Ethertons, and they said, hey, if you'd ever want to try to do some more things in the neighborhood, try to build some community, we'd love to help. And and we were like, what do you mean? Like what? <laughs> we haven't thought past the Caesar <laughs> Right. <laughs> and they said, you know, maybe a block party, gets, get some more people together. And so we did. And it it just grew. And, and honestly, it, it started exploding. But we saw that people were just as starved for community as we hmm. were. And along the way, we just kept asking God, what are you doing? Like, this is this is clearly very different from what we know in the campus ministry, where we like to call it the microwave. Because college students are just, it's a, you know, fast changing time in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. So we thought, okay, my neighboring is more like a crock pot. It's low and slow. We just kind of gave it to God and said, okay, whatever, whatever you want this to be. We're, we're in for it. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you see him at work? After we started to get to know some of our neighbors, and we definitely self-identified as Christians and had spiritual conversations, but we still weren't trying to like, we had ministry we were doing on campus and other places. But what happened was we saw um, a family coming into our church as, or we were we were coming in and they were leaving. And it, and if you would have asked us, who do you think would be the most likely to come to church and you would see at church, it, th- this family would not be on that list. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a total shock. And so we came, we, we kind of passed by and Elizabeth immediately got on Facebook and sent a message to the <laughs> wife and was like, you know, something like, Hey, you come here often? Like <laughs> we saw you come out of church. That's so great. And she said, she responded and said, you know, our, our kids were kind of questioning if there was a God. And so we decided we need to go to church. And in the process, we've found God. And are you in a small group, a church small group? And if so, can we join? And so we were like, Oh my gosh. And so we said, yes. yes. And so they walked across there out their front door through our backyard and right into our home with the Christian community. And I think it was there that we said, Oh, so this is what all the relationships, all the events, all the time spent serving, loving, caring for our neighbors ha- is leading towards. And it's been a slow process, but it is going somewhere. So that's when we decided, Hey, let's switch from doing college ministry to having this be our focus. And since then, we We've seen other neighbors come to Christ. We've seen them join our small group. We've built relationships with people who are very different from us because we're just interacting over the common good of the neighborhood. And we've learned how to be in relationship, like I said, with people who might not believe the same things as us or that might look different than us, uh, come from different backgrounds. But through the process, it's just been incredible. And, the, and the, really, the social fabric of our neighborhood has really been strengthened where I don't think people feel as alone as mm-hmm. they did in the past in our neighborhood. That's really cool and really encouraging to hear. I guess then the next step was writing a book about it? Yeah, so along the way, like I said, we just kept asking God what he was doing. And I think for us even, at times it was difficult to translate 
what we had experienced in the campus ministry into this new context. And so we we sat down in a small room, a, a small windowless room in the back of our church, <laughs> and we would hash it out and kind of argue over different different parts of it because we both felt strongly. And it took us probably over over a year to just write the actual book. And we wrote it as what we say, it's everything that we wish we had known when we first started. And then we beta tested it with different groups in, in different demographics across mm -hmm. the country. We did singles that were kind of 20-somethings in more urban contexts and apartments. We had people that were empty nesters in rural parts of the country. We had young families in the suburbs. We, I mean, we, we tried to hit every demographic on both coasts, Midwest, you know, the South, the North. And so we took all of that feedback. That was another year, probably. Mm -hmm. And then we, God brought us a publisher. And from there, the rest is history. But... That's kind yeah. of part of our journey. Really cool. What was some of the feedback that you got? That we got during that process or recently? Mm -hmm. Both, I guess. So I think like the feedback from the groups really helped because obviously we live in a suburban context where there's a lot of family homes. And so we know that that's probably going to come out in the book, but we really wanted to work as hard as we could to make it accessible to people in different places. So we tried to present as many principles and practical ideas that could be translated. So I don't know, um, for example, what your neighborhood is like, but we wrote the book hoping that if you read our book, you could say, okay, like I can take those principles and apply it into my neighborhood context. And since then, I think from people who've read the book, like, you know, we talked to so many people who live in neighborhoods where they don't, they, had, they don't know their neighbors. Like in America, we have the saying, like, you know, you drive into your neighborhood, the garage door goes up, they drive in and then the garage door comes down. And so people mm -hmm. just taking little steps, even just to, to wave to a neighbor or, or introduce themselves. And they've been shocked how much that's meant to, to, to that relationship and how it's, how they've been started to get to know them. And so, well, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think some of the feedback was just broadening our examples. So the garage mm -hmm. example for us, that that fits and we relate to that. And, and that is so powerful if you live in a neighboring context where people have garages, because it's true. People just I mean, they kind of hide in their castles, in their caves, so to speak. For some of the people that were in more urban contexts, they would they helped us provide language and kind of neighboring vocabulary that fit some of those more urban environments. So, yeah. Yeah. So you'll That's see. That's really cool that you guys took the time to do that and the awesome feedback that you got. Because I just thought about that example and I thought I live I live in downtown Berlin. Right. I hardly know any people who even own cars. Right, <laughs> right. Everybody <laughs> right. Uses, uses public transport. Yeah. Um, I think the example could also work for people just getting home from work, grabbing their mail from the mailbox and then closing their apartment door behind them. Right. Yeah. I think I remember adding examples like uh, about heading up uh, an apartment stairwell, but being on your phone and not trying to make eye contact. Mm -hmm. um, that's just one example. But our book, we really tried hard to not make it a, a, a cut and paste that kind of presumes, oh, th if you do this, this will work. But it's really our heart is, okay, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? What do you like to do? 
what do you um, what are your hobbies? Where where are you already? What are you interested in? And then kind of building from there and knowing God is going to use you, whoever you are, however he's wired you or built you or wherever he's placed you in really unique ways that are going to be completely different from our experience. And I think it's so important when you say that God places us, he really places us in, in a place on, on purpose. Did you get any feedback on that from people? Yeah. I mean, one of the things we say in our book is your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbors. Right. And so well, I, and that's the quote that Agape Europe. Has that's been, right. Yeah. They've been working in their lettering. Yeah. Contest. Yeah. And uh, that's such an important concept, because if you don't believe that, then you don't believe that God's at work in your neighborhood and in the lives of the people around you. But if you switch your focus and say, no, 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 God placed me here and he put my neighbors around me, he must be up to something. And so I want to be a part of that. And so I'm going to wave. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to smile and I'm going to value each one of those steps. And so the feedback we've gotten about that is just like, you know, people are like, I've never thought of it like that. I just thought I picked where I lived. I moved to this city. I found my house and my neighbors are just people who live next door. I don't really have to have to engage with them. But that that switch is what's so important when you think about loving your neighbors in real practical ways. Well, and I don't know if this is true for Europeans, but I think for Westerners, it's almost offensive to think of being placed. We like to think that we're in control. And like mm-hmm. you said, we're doing the the placing, so to speak. And so the idea of God sovereignly going before us and, and choosing, like like Paul says in Acts, the, the boundaries of our dwelling places, that he's chosen those before time. In our context, at least, that can be that can be a really humbling thing. Mm-hmm. But it's also sure. a comfort knowing, you know, if I feel lonely or if I feel discouraged, it's like God has purposes for me here. Yeah. And then it changes the focus of maybe not only coming to God with your loneliness, but actually asking him, what is that purpose that you have and what could be a next step that I could take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking... How this is really cool, how this concept adapts to so many different demographics. I'm thinking of, I used to be in a student ministry. It's really easy as a college student, as a university student, to see who your neighbor is, the people that sit next to you in class that you see on campus. But then uh, graduating, moving out of that, all of a sudden, you you move to a new place and it's, it's uh, not that clear and it's not that simple anymore. Yeah. Mm. And it can be a lot slower, too to make those relationships and build those relationships. And I think that's why we we emphasize so much, you know, like the Matthew 13, the parable of the mustard seed, where it's this tiny, tiny seed, you know, and after it's planted and watered and over time, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus says it grows into a big tree that provides shade for the birds. And so we like to think of it as like, oh, you plant it and it grows, but it's that's not the way a, a lot of relationships work. That's not often how the kingdom of God grows in our midst. A lot of times it's over time through these small uh, investments. And um, that's that's why we try to emphasize that so much. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing the world has changed quite a bit from the time that you wrote the book. What does being a good neighbor look like in your lives at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot. So, you know, we no longer, you know, this year we haven't been able to do any of our um, bigger events in the neighborhood, which has been sad because those are the ones where you really get to see people and, and build those relationships. So I think what it's done is it's brought it down to the smaller level. You know, I, I don't know what it was like in Europe, but I know in our neighborhood, you know, people were out, couldn't go anywhere really for a long time. So they're walking and and I think people started seeing their neighbors out <laughs> more and interacting with them on these small levels. And so we would do little just driveway parties where, you know, you're socially distanced and everything's safe, but it's it's small. So I think what it did is it kind of slowed everybody down and gave them a kind of a nudge to wave to their neighbor to say hi. And, and so it's changed in that way. And I'm actually really hopeful that, you know, as things begin to open back up and as we're able to interact with each other in, in, in a safe way, that there'll be this kind of new desire to want to see people and be around people. <laughs> and I'm hoping that that will happen in the neighborhoods, you know, and that some of those barriers that we've had maybe in the past, maybe as things open up, it's like, hey, we haven't been able to, to be together or really do anything. Let's have a little, you know, let's have some food out here or some, you know, a, a, some dessert, some ice cream and, and let's hang out. And I hope that we'll feel this 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 excitement for that. And that could kind of accelerate people's relationships with their neighbors, maybe. I don't know. It could be a could be a moment in history that is unique, you know, before we kind of all go back to our <laughs> old ways of being too busy and not mm. thinking about our neighbors. But Yeah. I thought just thought about that that busyness, how my world certainly has become much smaller in the in the last year with a couple of lockdowns in, in Germany with working from home and then just Things that I used to take for granted, being able to just take a plane somewhere, aren't happening. And so that, that makes me think of, but if my world is much smaller, what is a part of that and what do I want to be a part of, of that and, and what role do, do I play in that? Yeah. Are you under lockdown right now? It's a semi-lockdown in, in Germany, so you can only meet one person outside of your household at a time, but there's no restriction of movement. Yeah, because we have some friends in, in Birmingham in the UK, and yeah, we've just been talking about how she's a mom of three young kids and how difficult it is to be trapped inside with, with little ones and not really be able to go anywhere. And, mm -hmm. you know, for as believers, we have the body of Christ and we have the, the word of God and we have the spirit of God to help us navigate some of those things. And it's still difficult for our non-believing neighbors. I mean, it really is just such an opportunity, I think, to be able to share in a broken way. I mean, not, not in this, I've got it all together way, but in a way of this is how God is at work right now in my life for them to see, uh, to see how Christ is meeting us in our anxiety I think for our non-believing neighbors, those are the things they need to see. How is God at work in our lives? How do we handle really hard, painful circumstances like this? Yeah, that's really interesting. And it takes a lot of courage to to open your lives to your neighbors like that and let them let them see the the broken parts of it. I would guess that this is a unique situation in history where we're all kind of in the same boat as, as far as this pandemic goes. And so exactly. to then see that you have hope and that you have the Holy Spirit uh, giving you strength, I think that's super powerful. Yeah, I think in the past, I used to think my neighbors wanted to see me set a good example. And it was kind of more of a 
subconsciously it had a moralistic hmm. kind of bent to it rather than just a, a gospel, like living out the gospel, which is how is God meeting me in my struggles? But that that is way more vulnerable, like you're saying. And neighboring is vulnerable. If if you're if people are coming into your home or around your home life, they are going to see brokenness. They are going to see you our know. neighbors see a struggle <laughs> with uh, with parenting <laughs> so much. You know, they're so. like, wow, the, the the McKinney's really do. They need us more than we need that. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah. And that I mean, in some ways is the truth. They have helped raise our kids and helped us survive. So God has used, and there, there's a verse in, in Jeremiah where he's talking about how the Israelites, he's, he's encouraging them in their time in, in exile to, to live in the cities and to dwell there and to plant and, and root themselves. And he says, in its welfare, in these, in these cities, you will find welfare. It's like in your in your neighborhoods, as you as you seek to be a blessing and, and as you seek the welfare of your neighborhoods, you will find welfare. And I think that's been true for us. Mm-hmm. We've found welfare in our neighborhood. Yeah. So I'm guessing following that verse, you also pray a lot for your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's fun about that, too, is with our kids, you know, so neighboring, you know, for any of your listeners who who have kids and it's a fun way to, to engage them in God's mission. You know, we don't have to go somewhere to do that. We can do it right in our neighborhood. And so we often we talk a lot with our kids about um, our neighbors and, and, and every, you know, almost every night we try, you know, to, to pray for our neighbors, that they would feel God's love, um, through us and come to know Jesus. And so that from a young age is, you know, they're thinking about that as well. And, um, and so that's a really fun way praying for our neighbors with our kids to, to, to be able to engage them in that, in that mission. Yeah, that's really cool. I was just going to ask you about tangible ways, how things that steps that we can take to to love our neighbors. And I guess prayer is one of those simple yet dangerous steps because we're praying prayers where we uh, might be the answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think you know maybe you could think of some practical things. But before you know, I think the big thing as you think about the small practical things that you can do is to remove the word "just" from your neighboring vocabulary. So it, it it's not it's not just a wave, just a smile, just a hello. It's a hello. It's mm-hmm. a wave. It's a smile. It's a, it's a name. And those things are valuable in the process, um, to God and seeing his kingdom come. And so if you can do that, then the little steps become really important. But what would you say are some, some practical tips? Well, all of those are practical tips. Right. Like, so, I mean, you yeah. can't jump to the dinner party or yeah. the socially distanced, whatever it is right now without learning a neighbor's name. And really, the, a neighbor learning a neighbor's name is how you move from being a stranger to an acquaintance to being a, a friend or a neighbor, or eventually, hopefully, a brother or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I would say start with a name. And what I do is on my phone, I have a notes in my notes app. I put down their names because I'll forget. Or if they're, if they're a family, I'll put their spouse's name. Sometimes I even put their dog's names <laughs> because, I mean, the reality is... We live in a culture where people don't really listen or pay attention. So if you if you come back and you ask about their dog or about their aging parent and you ask about them by name, that is so powerful and it communicates 
so much care and so much love to them. I mean, that is just such a tangible expression. Yeah, and it sounds small, but that's what God does to us. He calls us by name, and so he calls us to call other people by name, too. Right. So before we jump to the, oh, I could try this, or I could try this, I think starting with those little things, and like he said, not um, not minimizing them or dismissing them or devaluing them if you don't have the opportunity to talk about your faith at the, in the first or second time you're together. But knowing that if, if it is a relationship, over time, those things are going to come up. I mean, I have a really close relationship with one of our neighbors because it's who I am. Who I am is I'm a Christ follower and, and Jesus is a big part of my life. So here and there, I would sprinkle, kind of drop the hanky, so to speak, like sprinkle the conversation with with things about just from my life, what I'm learning or, oh, I went to church this weekend or I was with my small group. And she would never respond to it for like two years, not even, I mean, nothing. And we would just keep hanging out. And she, I mean, almost like change the subject type of response. And so I think the idea of matching someone's spiritual pace, like not getting way ahead of them, but also just trying to match where they're at. And then several years ago, after, after two, after two plus years, she totally opened up to me about her whole spiritual background and why she doesn't believe in God. And, um, and from there, we've had a lot more conversations and I, I have hope that God's at work. Anyway, that's not really answering your question about practical ideas, but um, well, you have it is start. very practical, I think, just the idea of matching somebody's pace and starting small. And I just thought you don't have to be an extreme extrovert to know somebody's name. That's for everybody. Because you're really extroverted, aren't no, you, sweetie? No, I am not. You are the extroverted one. I'm the introverted one. So, yeah. So for, for, for neighboring and getting to know our neighbors, for me, I have to bring in stuff that I like to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like I like nerdy board games. So I'll have a few neighbors over to play a nerdy board game before COVID. Hopefully soon we'll get to do it again. Or serving, you know, like if, if we're having a little get together, if there's a welcome table, that's where mm -hmm. she's headed. <laughs> and if there's like a grill or something like to set up and engage, with people as I'm doing that, that's where I'm heading. Because you don't like small talk. Well, I, I yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's more draining for me. But but yeah. as I get to know my neighbors over time, that small talk and that stuff is really enjoyable. So for introverts, neighboring is great because once you get to know your neighbor, and I know we move a lot, you know, people can move. But if you build those relationships over time, that's, if people stay, if people it's stay, really nice. It's really fun. I like that, and those are really some great ways to just get started. As we're getting to the end of this. Is there one thought that you want people to take away from this? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is how the pandemic, along with our address, have both taught us that like what you were saying, Jochen, about um, how the world has, has shrunk. And it's both of those things that remind us of our limits. Um, I think with our, the way our address does that is... We can't have 15 addresses, right? I mean, we have one, we have one address. We, when, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he wasn't calling us to love, you know, millions and millions of neighbors. He was calling us to love a few, a few neighbors, like real people with real bodies and real names in real apartments or homes that live really right next door to us. They're real. And so I think. 
if we can embrace the fact that the idea of loving our neighbor isn't an abstract concept, but it is a real life thing. And you can do that with the people that you love next door. You can do that. And, and that like what Chris was saying, you can do it through these small ways that grow over time into something that can actually change someone's life. And we've seen people begin to follow Christ over time. And that is, that's amazing. Then their kids start to follow Christ. So yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to love everyone you do in a, in a way, but like you, it's, it's a few, it's, it's the people right around you. And I would say too, like begin thinking what, what in your mind, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? So I think in the States and maybe in Europe as well, there's a cultural story that being a good neighbor means leaving your neighbor alone. Um, There's actually been studies done on on that. Uh, The definition of a good neighbor in the United States is take your trash out, um, wave, but don't, but don't get involved in each other's lives and just kind of keep your distance. And, and I think unless we kind of wake up and see that that's, that's not the definition of being a good neighbor according to the biblical story, according to God's story of redemption. You know, he, he is a God that moves towards us. He moved towards us in the person of Jesus and he calls us to move towards people. And so kind of begin thinking, am I living out of a cultural story of what it means to be a good neighbor by leaving people alone? And if I am, how can I get out of that story and live more through the, the, the lenses of being a, a neighbor that's like the good Samaritan that stops and initiates and helps and shows mercy and proves to be a neighbor to the people that God's placed around me. Amen. <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect ending to this. Yeah. Well, guys, it was really fun to have you on and to get to chat to, uh, to you and congrats on your book. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was really fun talking with you. Yeah. God bless you. Thanks. Bye. You too. That was an interview with Elizabeth and Chris McKinney, a staff couple from Missouri in the U.S., and authors of the book Placed for a Purpose, a simple and sustainable vision for loving your next-door neighbors. If you like this podcast, why don't you take a minute and send a message to your friends to recommend it to them? And how about sharing your favorite quote in your Instagram stories? Speaking about social media, you can find Agape Europe on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok or check out our website, agapeeurope.org. I'm Jochen Geck, and this is Humans of Agape. See you next time.